0: month of July, uh, God had to look at second and third uh regarding God's concern for churches, published church by Paul in Asia. He, each of had great strength. them had use. But God came the church and encouraged them to work through the specific issues. I think we can learn a lot from what uh, John the Apostle uh, provides for us in what God told him to write down because there were seven churches and each of them each received a letter. But John was told and that he should put this out to not only them but have these letters circulated as well as the rest of the book of Revelation. A lot of preachers have desired to speak from Revelation because of its prophecy. Um, People are enamored with End Times, Armageddon. Uh, We have the Tim LaHaye books, uh, the Left Behind series. But that's not what this is about. This is about God's special love that He has for the churches that were established uh, in the early days. The book of Ephesians, excuse me, the church at Ephesus, uh, he writes, in- I'm going to ask a question, and I'd like to see who in the church here has been married the longest. So if you're married, I'd like for you to stand up, whether your spouse is here or not. If you're married, I'd like you to stand up. If you've been married 10 or less years, go ahead and sit down. Okay, we've got some timers here. All right, if you've been married uh, 15 years or less, sit down. Uh, a few. Okay. Young birds. Okay. You're just getting rolling. All right. 20 years or less. 25. You got the silver certificate. Okay. 30 or less. 35. Wow, we have some long timers here. All right. 40 or less. Okay, we still got a few standing. 42 or less. Yeah, I had to do that specifically for Karen. We've been married 42 years. Okay, 45. And Larry? And Jim? Jim, how long? And Larry? 47, Okay. since what about, the mayor here? what about the mayor here okay Carolyn, how long you guys been married 65 years <laughs> 65 years wow That's 65 years this year. When is your anniversary? This month. Mm -hmm. You will be celebrating your 65th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. If Coach were here, I'm sure he would love to give us some advice about long-term marriage. (laughs) I'm sure the kids have heard it. Uh, and I'm sure they've lived <laughs> with that. But marriage, from a Christian perspective, is for a lifetime. Not all of us achieve that. But love in marriage is very important, and sometimes we lose that love in marriage. Karen and I have been married for 42 years, and... The love in our marriage has changed many times over the years. Uh, we thank God that there are different ways that we love each other. There has been passion in our marriage. We have been best friends. We have had total commitment to love each other, which was a decision when we didn't feel either the passion or the friendship. We felt that unconditional love that. God had given to us. When we come to Revelations chapter 2 in the book of Ephesus, we are dealing with a second generation church, a church that had a lot going for it, but had lost its first love, the fire, the passion that many of us who are married, we, we had it back then when, when your bride was walking down the aisle and, and everything was exciting and uh, if you had a military wedding, you had maybe some swords that you all got to walk under after you were um, finished the ceremony. But nevertheless, there was passion way back when. And there has been passion at several stages of your marriage. And our Christian lives are very much parallel with that, and even church life is parallel with that, where we do all the right things. We say the right things. We work hard, but somehow that passion just kind of leaves us for a time. Uh, Our passion for our Lord, our Savior, the love of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation. He also wrote the Gospel of John. Last summer, we went through the Gospel of John uh, uh, throughout the summer, and we recognize the passion that Jesus had for those who would choose to follow Him. He says, for God so loved the world that He gave His Son. His Son, Jesus Christ, was given to us out of that love that He had for us. And John comes to towards the end of his life, and he has a passion uh, to continue to be concerned for the churches that Uh, He had probably ministered to over time, churches that Paul probably started years ago. But it's a second-generation church that has somehow left some of that passion behind, even though they're doing all the right things, saying the right things, enduring very strongly, um, doing the work of God. As John received the, the message of the book of Revelation, Uh, we are told in the first chapter that we are blessed if we read the book of Revelation. As difficult as it may be for some, it really is not a difficult book. I had the uh, opportunity to outline the book for um, courses in seminary. And was while I was outlining the book that I realized that There's a lot in there that makes sense, and the structure is very sound. And if you sit down and actually read it, you are blessed if you read it. The book talks about a time when Jesus is coming back. And we should be excited about that. But the fact that Jesus is coming back is a reminder to the churches that in all that we do, it's about loving our Lord Jesus Christ. John is writing from the island of Patmos. He's in his old age. And he writes down the visions that he sees. And he proclaims that Jesus is not only the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, but He is the God of the present also. And so he wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus. it's a short letter. Recall that Paul wrote uh, a more lengthy letter, Years ago, to uh, the church in Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks them up the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate the wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. He gives him one more uh, pat on the back when he says later on, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And they were people that were worshiping uh, false gods. And they were people who were, uh, enjoyed their idolatry and their sexual sins and into that lifestyle. And the church at Ephesus was, was against that. And so John writes, and Jesus The vision that Jesus is giving to John is full of accolades for this church. Listen to them again. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You don't tolerate wickedness. You've tested those who claim to be apostles but aren't. You've found them to be false. You've persevered and have endured hardships. You haven't grown weary. Twice he talks about patience in this church. He says, they had patience to endure the hardships, but they also had patience to continue working. A forward-looking patience to continue to serve and enduring patience that would allow them to endure the hardships. He says, at the end of this letter, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. A little bit of background from Ephesus. It was one of the most important cities in Asia Minor, which is now Turkey. It was, had a harbor on the Acaster River, which emptied into the Aegean Sea, which made it a major trade route, a commercial center. It boasted uh, the pagan temple that was dedicated to the Roman goddess Diana, uh, a center of that type of, of worship. Paul made Ephesus a center of evangelism for about three years and the church there apparently for some time. The themes in the letter that Paul wrote to Ephesus have to do with salvation by grace and grace none other than grace. He talks about the structure of the church and the gifts that have been given to the individuals within the church so that they might serve and edify one another. He talks about the family and the love relationship and the structure of the family. He talks about putting on the whole armor of God so that we might withstand what's going on from the wiles of the world, the attacks that Satan might bring. Probably this armor is being used by the church at Ephesus when John writes when he talks about their endurance and patience to endure the struggles that they have. This is one of seven letters, and each of the seven letters have a similar format. The writer starts out by talking about their strengths. He talks about a weakness. He says to each of them, he who has ears to hear, listen. I don't see anybody in this church this morning without an ear, so God is telling us to listen. Some of us may hear better than others. Some of us may hear selectively. Some not want to hear what's being said, uh, but we have ears. And then he says, after you listen, the Holy Spirit will bring to you a victory in that weakness. And a promise will come, a special promise for being victorious in what God has said. Now, going back to uh, the church at Ephesus, they served, they served with all heart, they were determined. They worked hard. They endured. But yet, somehow, over time, this is about 55 to 60 years after the time of Jesus, well after the time of Paul. He says, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love that you had at first. How did that happen? How is it that we lose our first love? I think those of us who are married, have been married for a long time, we realize that from time to time the passion wanes and we have to do something. We have to realize that something has gone wrong somewhere and it's time to maybe make it right. And thank God for that unconditional love that prevails during those times when we have to take a look at, How do I get that passion back? Or how do I, friends? And sometimes we're friends before we have the passion, sometimes we have the passion without the friendship. But nevertheless, we still have the unconditional love of God that prevails in our marriages that brings back the fire. But how does it happen that we lose that passion? We may focus on form instead of the substance of our faith. Are we doing it right? Are we kneeling at the right time? Are we praying at the right time? Are we doing the right things? And Ephesus had all of this. They did the right things. And they valued the form of what they were doing versus the very substance of our faith, who is Jesus Christ. Maybe they became infatuated with what they knew instead of God's holiness. They came less in awe of what God was doing. You know, living here in Kodiak over parts of the last five years and all the all of this last year, I still am in awe when I see an eagle flying. Even at the dump. I'm still in awe. When I see 50 eagles assembled down there, they are, I know that we have a tendency to see them as vultures, but I'm still in awe every time I see an eagle. But God says that we can lose that sense of awe for Him if we don't do something to fire up that passion that we have for Him. We might lose our evangelistic still. We we see the world as our enemy rather than a mission field. Expressing that love to those who do not know Jesus Christ. We want to feel persecuted and see them as an enemy, and we don't want to have anything to do with them rather than taking to them the love of Jesus Christ. We become insensitive to the Holy Spirit, and we focus instead on gossip, pride, jealousy, attitudes of spiritual one-upmanship. I'm better than you. A whole lot of other things. We become content with what we are instead of being driven to become more like Christ. We allow other things to take other. We begin to love something or someone more than we love Jesus Christ. Bottom line, we have become dispassionate and cool in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Go back and consider Stephen, one of the deacons. He was so on fire for God that he was willing to sacrifice his life for it, and did. Paul, who was willing to sacrifice his life and came very close to it on, very, on many occasions. Their passion was not lost. How do we get it back? What, is, what does the writer here say about getting that passion back? We are a good church. Community Baptist is a great church. And we have, many of us have that love and passion for Jesus Christ. And we have to sustain it. And it's been sustained during a transition period in this church's life, and it's going to be sustained in the future, but we have to work at sustaining that passion. He writes in verse 5, Consider how far you have gone, you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I I will come and remove that very light that you have. We are considered as a church church, a beacon on a hill of light to the lost and helped to the hurting. That's in our Constitution. But the writer here in Ephesians says, consider where you are. I've had to sit back and look at my marriage, both Karen and I have, and consider where we are and where we are going and what we are doing. We've had to do that over the years, as I'm sure... Max, your parents have had to do over time. He says, consider where you are. Take a hard look at where you are and turn it around. Repent and turn it around. Realize what's going on and turn it around. Do the things you did at first. When people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're excited. They want to attend the worship services. They want to attend the fellowship. They enjoy the prayer time. And as they grow in Jesus Christ, they seem to be a light to those who are somehow standing still. And we need to go back and look at the things that we did at first. Karen's going to tell me later that I need to practice what I preach. We need to go back and hold hands with our partner. We need to go back and get a bench seat in the front seat of our car so that our loved one can sit next to us instead of all the way over there by the window. Uh, We need to do those first things. We need to say I love you each and every day. We need to hug and kiss each other goodnight. But we need to do the same things in our faith. Practice What we did at first when we first came to know Jesus Christ. Remember today, the day that you became saved and what happened, the passion that you had for Jesus Christ. It's okay to pray about it. Consider what Psalm what David did when he wrote Psalm fifty one. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David sat down and actually prayed about it and said, God, create in me a pure heart and restore to me the joy of your salvation. He says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and leave me in that everlasting way. Second Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He says, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God. I have this image of the uh, foreman's oldest son over at Woody Island. We're over there for, for a day, and he is giving it all he can to fan a bunch of hot coals into a flame, and I'm wanting to tell him how to do it and everything else, and he's determined. And by golly, he fanned that fire into flame. We need to be just as determined as a young kid to fan the gift that God has given to us into a fire. Hebrews 10 Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is His body, and since we have a great priest of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We are here together to spur one another on to remind us of the love that God has for us and the love that He desires from each of us. It's not just doing the work of Christianity, it's about loving Jesus Christ. As I mentioned, the structure of each of these letters there's a victory and a promise. Whoever has hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches to one to the one who is victorious i will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is the paradise which is in the paradise of god the church at ephesus john writes these words from jesus christ to those who are victorious in maintaining that first love of jesus i will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of god to the other six churches, he writes something different. And what promise they will have for being victorious. But to this group, and actually to all of us, because these letters were intended to be read by each of us. He says, you'll be given the right to eat from the tree of life. It's interesting, in the last book of the Bible, John refers right back through the third chapter of Genesis, the garden. Adam and Eve had that perfect love in the garden. God walked with them. They walked with God. But there were two trees in that garden, and they were told of the one that they should not eat of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They were convinced to turn against God, do it their own way, and to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in that moment, they became aware of sin and its consequences, the reality of evil, and the consequences that went with it. And because of that, God said, you will be removed from the garden, and you not, will not be allowed to eat of the second tree, which is the tree of life. And for millenniums, people have wanted to eat of that tree of life because that tree of life gives us spiritual resources here in this life through Jesus Christ. And it gives us the very eternity that we have with Jesus Christ in heaven through all time. They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, And he says in Genesis 3, when you eat from it, you will now certainly die. It's interesting. In this letter, he tells us that if we continue on in loving Jesus Christ, that we will eat the tree of life. The very thing that Adam and Eve were prevented from eating from because they had sinned, Jesus paid for on the cross, which some call the tree of life, because in that he gave us life. He gave us victory. He gave us hope. And He says, don't lose that. We have it. And because we have it, we now get to eat of that tree of life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life to its fullest. And He has offered us eternal life. We will eat of the tree of life. Going back to the church at Ephesus, as Paul writes in the book of Ephesians, he says a prayer. He says a prayer at the beginning. He says a prayer in the middle of the book. For this reason, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. Now, to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory and the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That we might have the power to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May we never lose, may we never lose that love that we gained in the beginning of our Christian experience. May it endure all the way to the bitter end. Church of Ephesus was strong. And God encourages them to maintain that love. As we come to the communion table, we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. We what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we want to restore every time that we take this communion we want to remember what he has done because that is what will give us the passion to love him back if those who are serving communion would come